Good morning, good morning, St. Paul and Twin Cities. This is Wesley Wright, your unbougie foodie. And I have a very special guest in booth with me. In booth, I should not in booth, but in, in the station <laughs> with me, um, Morgan Chang. Thank you, Morgan, for being here. So excited to have you. Hi, thanks, Wesley. <laughs> um, I, I always tend to meet the most interesting individuals um, from mutual friends, and I love that. Um, it helps me connect with them, uh, as well as finding out other people's ideas and thoughts and opinions. But as you know, this is a show about food. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, as you know, my show is The Unbougie Foodie. You can find me on Facebook, uh, The Unbougie Foodie. Um, if you're interested in finding out where I've gone to, foods that I've been cooking, eating, consuming, <laughs> please follow me on uh, Instagram, which is The Underscore Unbougie Foodie. And then, of course, Twitter. Like I said, I always say I don't really rant, but you might find a point or two out there <laughs> from me. Uh, that is at Unbougie Foodie. But... If you have any type of comments or suggestions, or maybe you'd like to simply call into the radio station and uh, maybe have a question for myself or for Morgan, which we'll we'll introduce Morgan in just a moment, a little bit more better. uh, Please feel free to call us here at 651-200-3479, and we'll be here to take your phone calls. But let's start our show. So, Morgan, tell us a little bit more about you. Hi, Wesley. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Uh, certainly. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. I love food. Yes. I love eating food. <laughs> I love trying new food, new recipes, and new restaurants. Cool. Um, a little bit about myself. I am a performing artist in the Twin Cities, um, a dancer and actress. I really enjoy creating new work. See, so, yeah, I this fall, I'm performing in the Interact Center for the Visual and Performing Arts. Cool. Fall show Feast of Fools at the Lab Theater. Which I'm going to. Oh. <laughs> and uh, that is all about food. Is in it really? Fact. Oh, so my goodness. That is a great show to go to if you're interested in theater and food. Nice. So, uh, what else? I'm just going to kind of jump right in. Mm-hmm. I know we were talking um, you know, while we were coming here and everything about... You know your background in food. Uh, well, you were sharing me with sharing some things with me. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you to share those things again? Sure. Um, let's <laughs> On see. air. I am. Um, I was born and raised in Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii, and moved to Minnesota just about ten years ago. So, uh, my background. I mean, being raised in Hawaii, we just are exposed to a lot of different types of food, cultures of food, nice. Um, both at home and outside the home. Okay. Um, I mean, my, my dad's side of the family is Chinese, but uh, through marriage, I also have relatives who are Japanese, Filipino, Caucasian. Um, it's a big mix in there. And so when we come together for family gatherings, the food is from everywhere. And that's so wonderful. Um, what is there one particular type of... Uh, a food that you like or that you are you feel strongly uh, close to or that you really enjoy more than others? Well, in Hawaii, um, there is what we call local food. Mm-hmm. So because of Hawaii's history, uh, the plantation history, there is 
Hawaiian food, native Hawaiian food. Um, and there is also what we have local food, which is a mix of all of the different cultures that came to work on the plantations and that were living in close proximity to each other okay. and developed from their own home cuisines, Korean, Japanese, Filipino, Chinese, right. a local cuisine that was very specific to Hawaii. Okay. Um, and that grew out of the work there. And that is what many people from Hawaii connect to nice. as kind of their nostalgic comfort food. Um, things like you might have heard of Spam Musubi. I have not. Uh, it's fried Spam on rice wrapped in seaweed uh, or nori. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's so a typical snack in Hawaii, something that you wouldn't find anywhere outside of Hawaii. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned that. Why? Because I, I've seen it. I, I've seen a photo of it and mm-hmm. I think here in the United States, <laughs> call it something totally different or they just simply refer to it as Spam Sushi. I'm like, uh, the, where did that come from, or what is that? Or, right. You know, so, like, I mean, is that like most local food? It's a it's a product of history and culture together. So, musubi is a Japanese snack. Okay. Um, and musubi traditionally is a rice ball wrapped in seaweed or mm. nori. Um, and that rice might be, it might be flavored with something. It might have a pickled plum in the center. It might have a little uh, teriyaki chicken on top. Then in World War Two. Uh, Hawaii was really reliant on rations, okay. on food rations, and and those wartime rations included a lot of canned meat. So you'd see Vienna sausage and spam becoming very popular. Okay, you know there are something like five military bases on Oahu. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So a lot of the food that developed around that time was the result of different groups taking their traditional cuisine and incorporating those wartime foods and the spam musubi. Oh wow! Was was a product of that. That's interesting. Is that how is it, is there just a certain time of year that that's made, or that's just being all year? Made, oh, all, all year, year round. round, you find okay. it at gas stations. You find it at um, uh, soccer practice <laughs> when the moms bring the snacks at class picnics. Nice. Yeah, at your at your family barbecue. Your you have more of a interest. Well, not an interest, but you have, you mentioned something about being, you were working, I think, at a particular restaurant. Can we talk mm-hmm, about that? And mm-hmm. basically the progression that came along with that too, please. Yeah. Can I name names on the radio station? Yeah. I, uh, please, certainly. I worked at the local Minneapolis. It's an Irish pub um, in downtown Minneapolis. And I worked there for several years in varying capacities, but my most recent one was a pastry assistant in the kitchen um, and I was really I was really grateful to get this job not having any kind of degree in pastry um, or confection and just kind of learning on the go nice from my superiors about baking and it was I was really lucky I had um, my my chefs in that kitchen really uh, fostered a culture of experimentation nice. the kind of thing where you don't do it wrong you just try it out Nice. Right. So, do we know that this cheesecake is going to work if we do it in this pan? Well, let's see. Oh, we burned it. Now we know <laughs> exactly. And I learned a lot through my failures there, more than I would have known through successes. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think that you probably would have? And you made a comment, and believe me, you know I'm not trying to put you on the spot or whatever. But <laughs> you like to eat uh-huh. more than you like to cook. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, um. Do you feel that ever, you would have ever gone into 
uh, maybe a culinary type of profession or I don't I don't think so no you, you um, definitely know right it's, okay I mean going into any profession you measure it the investment that you're going to be putting in okay. that you know you know it's going to take an investment to become good at something exactly. you don't do anything just halfway exactly. right and and in order to become a really good cook to get myself to that next level yes i would probably want to go to a school but if i was going to make that investment then i make a commitment mm-hmm. to be a chef definitely to be pursuing that line of work and you know you have two pathways in life are you going to do this or that i i really wanted to dedicate myself to being a performer and so made the investment in that direction chose cooking as a hobby and that's a good thing um showing the dedication and knowing specifically where what direction professionally you wanted to go mm-hmm. because there's some out there that i want to do this oh no i can't do that now now i'm gonna want to over here and do this and yeah, yeah. yeah. we need to find out where our, our path in life right and stick and, to it and you might have your heart in many different places and you choose like you choose how much of your time you're going to give to it. Exactly. It doesn't stop you from being a good cook. It just means you do it in different doses. That's true. I yeah. bring up a good point. Um, is there a particular recipe or maybe do you recall? This is, again, I'm not saying that you're going to remember this, mm-hmm. but if there's a certain recipe or something that you like or that you know right off the top of the, your head that you maybe want to share or that you, you think that you have mastered Hmm. I I don't have one. Okay. But that no, is that is one of my failings as a chef. And it will. Just, I like to try new things. Exactly. And the result is that I rarely make any recipe twice. I understood. It it hinders me in trying to improve my cooking because <laughs> if I were to try it more than once, I might get to, you know, really perfect it. But, you know, as a chef, everything is about learning something new for me the way that i enjoy cooking is that i enjoy trying new techniques and so it's always it's always different understood Uh, when you um are at home with your family or when you visit your your parents and maybe brothers and sisters you have brothers and sisters i have two sisters nice um what what draws you home is it the food? Is it the culture? Is it just being with them? All, or is that all together? I mean, I, I, th- that sounds like an open-ended question, but I'm really trying to find out about the food. When you all mm-hmm. get together, what type of foods do you actually make? Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that for myself, when I go to home to visit my, my parents um, in Los Angeles, I know I already know what I'm going to expect, what type of foods. I mean, there might be something new, but I'm just saying that yeah, I know that he's going to be doing probably oxtail or this or that yeah. or whatever. Do you have the same type of experience when you go home? I do. I do. When when I go home to Hawaii, it's everything together. Nice. It's like you said. I'm going home for the family. I'm also going home to be with the islands. Oh. You know, the land is, is really a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and be a part of the culture there. And that includes going to my favorite restaurants, the dim sum restaurants, nice. the little Chinese hole in the wall where I can get some oxtail soup, <laughs> See, nice. right? the plate lunch uh, food truck, exactly. the Japanese okazuya. All of these places are, are part of my life there. Um, at home, when I was growing up, my dad did most of the cooking. My, my mom mind. would bring out the baking. Uh, she would make all the pies and the cakes for our family holidays. But my dad was the one who really enjoyed cooking the daily meal. And um, he would cook 
I mean, what people here might call Chinese food. To me, it was just food. <laughs> he would cook what he knew how to cook right. with the styles and spices that he knew how to cook with. Somebody from China might not call it from Chinese Chinese food, and somebody from Minnesota might. Exactly. But but to us, it was just food, and you know, it was stir fries and a, a good portion of rice for every meal. Um. And stews and noodles and things like that. Uh, now that he is no longer here, when I go home, sometimes I try and make those foods just to have a little bit of that tradition back. Understood. Well, I'm sorry that he's no longer um, with you all. So my condolences on that. But you are your sisters also as involved, or they do they get involved in cooking mm-hmm. as well? Or? One of my sisters. Um, is very into cooking and is actually a much better chef than I am. <laughs> um, and she can make all sorts of those fancy dishes that you would see in the cookbooks. The, you know, the Julia Child and the pies with the lattice crust. Oh yeah, she's... So when she gets home, then we let her have the kitchen. Nice. Um, and my other sister is uh, an experimental cook. <laughs> you know... I'll- so she will put um, cheddar cheese and honey and a little bacon bits on top. Put it over rice or noodles. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, it's always some type of, there's some levels of being a chef, whether it be a home chef, experimental chef. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just think of it as, you know, a person that likes to cook. I, I, my, uh, and I have friends and that really, I, they know how to cook and they're not like professional chefs. They're just really good. I call them home chefs. I mm-hmm. really do. And mm-hmm. they're like, don't call me that. I'm like, but. That's really what you are. I mean, no matter what, when you're a person that you have some really good culinary skills, I'm, you know, I'm trying to put honor onto you when saying that you're a particular type of chef. Sorry, even experimental chefs, because you never know that experimental chef, they come up with something and then all of a sudden somebody's like, oh my God, wait a minute. How did you come up with this? It was by accident. (laughs) Yeah. It's an interest and an attention to the food. It really is. Some people don't care about the food that they eat. They could put something in their body and not know what it was. It's just a matter of keeping themselves going. And for other people, that food is something to pay attention to. And that's that's what a home chef does. Understood. Um, When you mentioned about um, being going home, um, being with your family in Hawaii, um, I personally am going to admit I don't know that much about Hawaiian cuisine and I'd love to learn more. Is there any type of cuisine here in Minnesota that even comes close uh, or that you could say that I've gone to and it reminds me of maybe the way that my dad may have cooked something or my mm-hmm. mom or something? Mm-hmm. Is there? Well, in Hawaii, there's a, um, a large Asian population. Okay. Uh, almost the majority of, of the population of people living in Hawaii would be Asian, I think. All right. Again, a result of the workers coming to work in the plantations um, back in the early days, in the 1800s. So that is where I would find the most similar food in Minnesota because we do have a lot of um, Asian populations that settled here. I can find Korean food in St. Paul, okay. um, Vietnamese food in Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, good ramen shops now opening up. Yum. Those are all things that I grew up with Okay. Um, in the culture. As for Hawaiian food, very hard to find. Okay. There's a shop. Uh, do you know United Noodle? Y- yes. Mm-hmm. I love United Noodle. United Noodle has some Hawaiian food every once in a while. Okay. And they do it well. 
Okay. And if I ever really have a craving, you'll go there. I can I can try go there. Understood. Um, Hawaiian food is is very difficult to make in Minnesota. Our the food is based off of ingredients that just don't grow here. Okay. Uh, poi. You ever heard of poi? I have. So not. taro is the staple food. Okay. In Hawaii or was in ancient Hawaii, and poi is made out of mashed taro. Okay. Um, which has then been left to ferment. So yes, you can get taro here. It's not the same as Hawaiian taro. Okay. Uh, and if you wanted to pound your own poi, that would might take some effort. Oh wow. Um, uh, we also have what's called luau, okay, which is stewed taro leaves, uh, and it's often stewed with seafood or squid, uh, things like that. We have poke, uh, which is f- cubes of raw fish. Okay. That's mixed in with uh, kukui nut oil and seaweed. Or sometimes in the more modern forms, uh, it's mixed in with sesame oil and okay. peppers and soy sauce. Um, so, yes, finding finding fresh raw fish here for poke, not easy. Finding taro leaves or Hawaiian taro root, not easy. No. And then having the opportunity to make those things, again, traditionally in Hawaii, you would steam them in an underground oven. Okay. That's not going to happen in Minnesota. <laughs> Especially in this weather. <laughs> so true Hawaiian food is something I really can only get in Hawaii. Understood. Wow. That, I want to I say it saddens me because, but then at the same time, maybe we don't want to, I don't know bring it here <laughs> i don't mm-hmm. know does that sound wrong because it, maybe some maybe some folks may feel that okay i could bring this here i know how to do this or mm-hmm. whatever and then persons like yourself that true you know your hawaiian culture and everything and you're like this is not the same thing you know it's it doesn't taste the same it doesn't there's something that a person could put into the way that they're making food, whether it be, as they say, their love, their spirit, whatever the case is. Uh, and if it's not truly gen- coming from a genuine place and it's just to say that I'm bringing it here to the United States or yeah. stateside, you know, does it really make is it really going to be come across as being good? That's that's a very good point. And actually, that is what's been happening to poke. Mm. I think that poke has been making the rounds now nationally. Yes. It's been featured in restaurants. Uh, people are having like poke stops. Yes. It's like stands. And uh, as somebody from Hawaii, again, I'm not native Hawaiian. My family is not native Hawaiian. Mm. I was just born and raised there. Um, but as somebody from Hawaii, I eat that poke and I know it's not poke. Right. It's raw fish. Right. It's a, it's a bowl of raw fish. It's not the same thing. And what also makes it um, a little bit painful as mm-hmm. somebody from Hawaii is that people don't know where it comes from, right? They eat it because it's trendy. It's a fad, yes. Right, mm-hmm. but they don't understand where it comes from. And <laughs> they can't pronounce the name. Right. <laughs> so sometimes you hear people saying pokey yeah. or poke. Uh, there, there is a little bit of uh, territorialism right. around it where as somebody from Hawaii, you're very protective and you're like, I know what this is. Exactly. That doesn't mean that you don't want to share it. That doesn't mean you don't want other people to eat it. Um, but there is there is something very important, especially when something comes from a culture that has been so erased, so um, dispersed, that you want to make very sure when people eat it, they know what it is. The meaning behind it or right. why they certain ingredients. They know who it belongs to. Um, I got very 
upset when I first moved to Minnesota, and I realized that people here wear lei to parties. Mm. Lei, uh, the flower garland. When I was growing up, lei were for special occasions.、Mm. You gave it to somebody on their birthday, on their graduation, when they'd gotten a promotion, they were, when they were leaving, when they were coming home. They were they were objects of love. Right. And when I got here, I saw people wearing lei. I thought, oh, that's so sweet. Who gave that to you? I'm like I don't know. I went to a party last night and got drunk, and somebody gave me this lei. I thought, how they don't even know.、Right. They don't know what it is. They just wear it, and that is the same thing with food. That when things belong to a culture, it's not a bad thing to partake in it. But if you don't know what it is that you're doing, then you're just disrespecting. You have touched on such an awesome. I mean, we're out, like transitioning into this awesome subject and everything. And I know we,、um, as we were having an earlier discussion, it was something that I wanted to talk about with you and hear your viewpoints as well. So、uh, it's almost like I'm just going into that.、Um, it's a subject of what I well, I won't say I refer to as, but I've heard of. Culinary cultural appropriation,、mm-hmm. um, and while I was doing research, and again,、uh, that's why I mentioned that I don't know about Hawaiian culture and the cuisine and so forth,、um, and I would love to find out for my own reasons or my own、mm-hmm. experience and knowledge and everything. Not to say, oh well, I know what it is, and I could go find next place to go or whatever. I just want to know. I want to be educated a bit more. But when it comes down to culinary, specifically culinary cultural appropriation, that's where I feel that you're bringing in those points of people when they are cooking a, uh, or trying to、uh, prepare a certain type of meal.、Uh, what's the the meanings behind it? You know, when how this meal is being prepared, the different types of ingredients that are actually being used in it. Why are we doing it?、Mm-hmm. You know, and I've learned that.、Um, It was just a. I guess I looked at a description, and it said, "Culinary,、uh, culinary cultural appropriation, modifying recipes without respect of someone else's culture, and introducing a cu- cuisine as though it were your own." Yes. What do you feel about that? I mean, I know you already made some really great statements and, and points on how it's important for us, just as we're a nation that's made up of so many different cultures and ethnicities and so forth. Why can't we respect each other's cultures? You know, and、mm-hmm. if you don't know it, find out about it or ask someone、mm-hmm. that is from that culture and say, "Hey, you know, I I would love to make this, or can you tell me a little bit more about it or whatnot?" I'm sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> I wanted. No, it's great. I I love that that definition that you just gave. I thought it hit on the key point、mm-hmm. in the second sentence: introducing a dish as though it were your own. Right. The I think. The key to appropriation, what makes it different from exchange, and people confuse this all the time,、mm. right? They think cultural appropriation. What does that mean? We can't share cultures.、Right. We can't exchange knowledge. That appropriation happens when a group that is in greater power takes, appropriates this aspect of culture、mm. without giving credit to where it comes from, and perhaps at the same time. Making the culture that it came from more invisible, right? Taking away the voice of those people, and and cherry picking the aspects of the culture that are beneficial to them. They are able, the members of the dominant culture, are able to make a profit off of something, while continuing to oppress the members of the subdominant culture. Right. And I mean, I I see that happening 
you know, now here in Minnesota, wild rice mm. is something that I believe can only be cultivated by Native Americans. Okay. You know, and I believe that that, that has happened. Now, imagine if that was taken away from them. If wild rice, which is a specific Native American staple, was taken by non-natives, sold, profited off of, people would, would believe that they were taking an aspect of Native American culture, but the real people that it comes from are suffering because of it. Right. And there's many ways to suffer. There's, you know, you can suffer financially, you can suffer socially, but it's what happens... That's what happens in many times when restaurants want to try out new cuisines. Exactly. Right? They want to adopt new cuisines. And I feel like that should be celebrated and encouraged. But it also has to be analyzed from um, the perspective of power. Yeah. And who has more power. And perhaps your intention with adopting this new cuisine is to honor those people. Perhaps your intention is to bring their cuisine into a greater light. But if the result of what you're doing is making them less able to show themselves, then it's not going to work out, right? A lot of people, a lot, a lot of people feel like they're not, they're not culturally appropriating because they don't intend to. Mm. They, they feel very, um, defensive about their action because they are not bad people. Right. I, I found this great, um, this great starting point for talking about cultural appropriation. Yes, sure. The writer is Maisha Z. Johnson. And she says that appropriation is not only the act of an individual, but an individual working within a power dynamic in which members of the dominant culture take elements from a culture of people that have been systematically oppressed. Mm. So. Good. Oh, wow. That's, that's a powerful <laughs> you statement. You let me talk for a long time. No, no, no. I mean, and that's, you know, that's what we're here for. I mean, l- last week I, you know, let my listeners know that this was a topic that I was really excited about um, talking about. Um, And I'm so glad that you feel the way that you feel and we're bringing up some really um, wonderful points and um, that you're willing to share and everything in our conversation with it regarding it. Um, And I'm, I was feeling this way because I was on a specific, I was on the show, um, had the opportunity to be a guest on a show, excuse me, with, uh, a Nigerian chef and it was a point I thought that we were going to have a back and forth conversation and so forth. And I had questions and, and things that I wanted to talk about because hit one of his, the reason for his show, or it's not even a show it's called, it's a pop-up. Um, it's called blackness in America. Um, chef Tundewe, he's a Nigerian chef. Um, he talks about appropriation or, you know, his food is really about bringing people together to understand about Nigerian food and uh, for folks to have conversations such as what we're having right now. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, and it was, I didn't get to answer my, ask my questions and make my point. So that I, I was like, I have to talk about this. And again, thank you very yeah. much for giving us uh, your feedback, your, your insight and everything on it. When we, have you ever, because we're already talking about that subject, um, in my own research, I've found that even persons such as myself, um, I'm not a chef. I'm, yeah, I do cook at home. I, I try different things and so forth. In no way do I try to say that, oh yeah, I know about this cuisine and this and that. Um, but 
as a person that is on the air, uh, has a radio show or, um, you know, writes about certain types of cuisines and so forth, even persons such as myself can culturally, uh, uh, culinary culturally appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, And I did not know that. And what does that mean to you? It means that I could, if there are four or five different restaurants, um, if I go and say, I have the, I know where the best such and such is or whatever, I, I'm not from that culture. I'm not from that. I don't know that cuisine to go off and say that I know what is the best or if this restaurant serves the best or whatnot. There's no way for me to, you know, I, I could only talk about or what I should be doing is talking about my experience. And that's how I try to come across and make sure that I'm not trying to do that. Uh, I didn't realize that that could be something that even in writing, even being on the air, talking about different restaurants and so forth, that that could be something that you could be accused of. And, and we're not being accusatory right now, but it's just... It's its such a good awareness. It, it, you know, It's and, such a good awareness. I mean, th- it's all part of the same system, and that's right. what we talk about. It's not one person did something wrong, but looking at how we all sort of adopt this way of thinking where once something enters our state of being it becomes ours right and it's such a great insight to have where you think even the way that i speak about these places should acknowledge that i am not an expert right that i only know my experience i know where i got pho that i really enjoyed exactly it might not be the best pho right i just know that i enjoyed it exactly and i try to talk about the experience and i want uh friends, guests, and so forth when they come on to also feel the same way that, you know, this show, you know, that's why the show is called the Unbougie Foodie. Folks wonder, it's like, okay, why'd you come up with that? It's like, because I take a different, I try to take a different approach when it comes down to going out to a restaurant or talking about new restaurants. It's not because I feel that I know this or whatever but because i appreciated my experience i want to share it with you maybe you might have the same experience maybe you have a different experience we didn't all have the same type of dish um you know i you probably didn't have the same dish when i went there you probably felt the same a different way about that particular dish Mm -hmm. but giving people an opportunity to find out about different restaurants foods cuisines within your area is what this show is about and that's why i always say that my tagline at the end which you'll hear me say is because really it is all about the food Mm -hmm. it's not about me trying to say that i'm my palate is better than anybody else's and i could tell you where to find this this or i could tell you where to find that now if you're saying hey where are some good restaurants for such and such yeah, I could you know share some of those, but to try to try to tell you where's the best this is or where no, I can, I can't because I'm like I'm not an expert. Right. <laughs> I don't know. And you know, I wanted to say very practically to people who might be concerned about whether they're being culturally appropriative mm-hmm. in their own lives, like you know, oh, is is it all right for me to cook Indian food at home? Or is it all right for me to go to this Korean restaurant? Um, like, it's not... When I, when I think about cooking Indian food at home, for example, I consider that me learning right. about another culture. Exactly. I am not making a profit off of it. I'm not presenting it to friends as authentic Indian cuisine. 
I am simply learning. Exactly. I am coming to it as a student and not giving myself a voice about somebody else's culture. Exactly. And the same thing happens when you go to a restaurant, right? It's not, am I allowed to do this? What, the question that really should be asked is, is what I'm doing taking voice away from the people whose culture I am experiencing right now? Such a great point. Wow. And if it's not, then what you're doing is learning. Right. What you're doing is honoring. And, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you feel so, <laughs> I, I'm, this is like a, such a really exciting moment because you feel so passionate about these points. And, and again, this is something I, I revel in and I really appreciate, you know, you feeling this way. And again, having this conversation, this is, it's been really enjoyable. You know, gosh, I hope you're feeling the same way I and am, everything I am. good because it, it's been, it's been really good. Gosh, man, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling a certain kind of way too. You know, we're not all emotional over here. It's just that because the conversation, I, th- I think it's a conversation that this is a serious conversation for, for my show, um, which I've. I guess I never really knew how I was going to bring it in or I really talk about it. Um, and I think it was just my recent research on it when I f- figured, gosh, uh, is this possible? I'm like, I need to find someone else that feels, uh, you know, that is a cook or that is from a different culture or, or and could you know feel talk us through this or you have a conversation mm-hmm. and I'm gonna throw somebody under the bus right now <laughs> uh our mutual friend <laughs> was like I'm not the right person for this <laughs> you know I have a, a a very another good friend that I would really like you to meet and I think she would be a great person that you can talk to and she would have she's very knowledgeable she knows about food and Please ask her to be on or I'll reach out to her and everything. So I, I'm so glad. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question. Yes. This is something I, I haven't answered yet. Okay. And especially relevant in a show about food is that we know that we have a tendency in America to reduce cultures to their food. Yeah. It happens to be the one part of other cultures that is accessible to us. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the only thing that people will know about Mexico is... It- Tacos. Mm. The only thing that people will know about Japan is sushi. And that reduction, I feel, is also a part of cultural appropriation. Mm. In that that parsing allows you to say, I like sushi, I don't like Japanese people. Right? To separate that element of culture from the people as opposed to seeing it as part of a whole. That's a very good point. Did, I'm sorry, continue. I'm sorry. Well, but my question is, is that food is also the most accessible thing to all of us. And so in a way, like, that is what needs to be introduced. Right? How do you, how do you help from making that reduction when that is really the, the first thing you have access to? That everyone, that connects us, everybody has to have, I mean, that's our commonality as just humans or just individual come on we all have to eat Mm -hmm. we eat food you know we're gathering together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and do you want every plate of food to then be a lesson or do you just want to enjoy it sometimes 
Like, yes, sometimes you do want to learn about the whole culture, and sometimes you just want a plate of sushi. Exactly. And just enjoy. <laughs> just sit back. And, and just enjoy like, a plate of sushi. So yeah. I haven't answered that question yet about about how to to address the issue of, of cultural reduction through food while still acknowledging that it, it's what bonds us all together as yes. humans. That sounds like another topic that you're going to have to probably come Ooh. back on, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think if any, oh, if can, any I, listeners I, have an insight into this, I know, I'd really. I, I'm not trying to leave you all out. Please, if you have any type of uh, insight or comments that you'd like to make on this topic, uh, you know, we're we're talking specifically about in this segment, if you would. Culinary cultural appropriation, and that's what I've kind of given the name of the segment. But basically, you know, that's our topic right now: um, culinary appropriation. And I'll once again mention about my understanding or a, com- a description, if you would, of about that: modifying recipes without respect of someone else's culture and introducing a cuisine as if it's your own. Um, we're we're going to continue on that subject. I, I did have another um, point or kind of area that I wanted to talk about too, but you mentioned about minimizing maybe a, a, another culture and just picking out just that specific, maybe in this case, food and mm-hmm. saying that this is the way, this is the only way that we really recognize them rather than, appreciating or respecting the full culture like you said right. I I love sushi but I don't really care for Japanese people or Mexican yeah I could I, I won't go to a I could have a taco but I'm not going to a, a food truck for a taco truck or something like that or craziness I know when people use the word ethnic like I'm gonna go have ethnic we're gonna have ethnic food or tonight is ethnic night and we're gonna have this type of food or whatever does that have some type of effect on or do you feel that that has some type of effect on that person's culture or the way that they're making that person's culture or they're defining that other person's culture Mm -hmm. do you you understand Mm -hmm. my question yeah and and i get that way about the words ethnic and exotic okay both of those words um i i really strongly feel that the language that we use shapes our brains yes right if you use a term like ethnic as a broad term for anything that is other than you, mm-hmm. then that is the way that you're going to see the world. I am me and everything else is ethnic. Mm-hmm. If you use the term Chinese, mm-hmm. Japanese, Afghani, Somali, specific terms that identify people the way that they identify themselves. That is the way that you're going to see the world. Good. And then you can oh identify gosh. yourself in the world as well. Yes. And oh. then you can be equal. And I think people, I think, uh, I, I feel really strong about that because I know that this is not to say, it's not about me being I don't want to put it holier than thou or think that, you know, my insider, like you mentioned, you know, it's a great insight to have or whatever. It's just, it brings you back to thinking what, what have I always, how I've always used the word or, and I really, honestly, I don't really use the word like that. I really don't. I always try to say, I'm going to have Indian cuisine tonight, or I'm going to have this or something like that. 
because I, I I'm a descriptive person. I have to let people know what type of I don't do. Oh yeah, tonight I made some ethnic. Uh, I'm having some ethnic cuisine or something like that. No, I and it's because my interest in the various types of foods the way that it is i need to be descriptive i need to understand specifically about that type of cuisine um i that, that why i'm even bringing up that message is because when people like you mentioned use the word ethnic it was a point that uh, was being brought that when they use that word they are and it's sounds really harsh but they are demonizing or putting down that particular culture and the only thing that they are they're lessening the importance of that culture as well as that cuisine and thinking that in this instance american cuisine is is superior to any other cuisines Mm -hmm. and that like you mentioned that rather than taking it as identifying each one of those cuisines you're in your own little bubble and everybody else's doesn't matter and just my cuisine is like important that's why i'm gonna say oh this is american cuisine this is american standard or this is american fair whatever Mm -hmm. everything else oh yeah we're gonna tonight we had ethnic food or or whatnot or i'm like what is that (laughs) what is that yeah and 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 this is not this is not to like point fingers at people no, for at for using the term ethnic because no. a lot of times they were raised that way and exactly. many people were raised in places that didn't have a lot of cuisine that wasn't uh, Anglo-American right. I want to say you know German or English derived which again is an ethnicity and mm-hmm. you can recognize that ethnicity in your food when you eat a hamburger exactly. you're eating an ethnic food yeah. So the the real case is is not not to say that people are bad for using that term, no. but that it will take an effort to retrain your brain to see other people as individuals, exactly, and other cultures as being equally relevant in your world. Um, there's a term I learned in school called mm-hmm. ethnocentrism, okay, which is again a way of seeing the world, food, all aspects of culture, where your own culture is the center. And and when it comes to appropriation, that is a dangerous place to be mm. because, as we said, it allows you to take other, quote unquote, ethnic cuisines as your own, as part of your own entertainment mm. and to dismiss the people that they come from. Oh. And and again, it's what allows people to say, I love hip hop. I hate black people. Mm. You know, it, you, you are you have separated that aspect of the culture from the people themselves so that you have no you have no dissonance in your mind as to wanting a particular part of that culture mm. and then placing yourself as superior. Oh, gosh, I'm telling you, this conversation, folks, yeah, I wish I could open up the the floodgates and just <laughs> people call in or you know, mm-hmm. have this just talked about for another right. couple of hours and everything, but Gosh. So so it's all important. It's yeah, the words really that you use is. are important and and sometimes the learning curve is is pretty slow, you know? It takes a while for people to stop thinking in terms of exotic. And sometimes it could be kind of jarring to some folks because they like you said that they are in uh they've their entire lives they've something has been inculcated in them. Uh, or they're just so used to it and it's like but that's what we've always said it's Mm -hmm. like but we live in a world try to get out of that that space because 
it is not just all about you and you're walking around and everyone else is just whoever. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, that's a simplified way to say it and, and to put it. But it's like people around you matter. I mean, just as much as you want people to know that you matter, you have to also understand that people around you matter as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this case, we're talking a lot about food and how, you know, it can be totally taken out of context, taken out of context. you know, and do you really want somebody else to kind of like devalue you as whoever you as a person are or as your culture is, whether by taking bits and pieces of your food or your your cuisine or culture or whatever and saying, yeah, this is the important part. This is what I want. I'm good. All the rest of that part, no, nah, I don't want it. I don't, I'm not yeah. interested in it or whatever. That's- I think sometimes Americans are very shocked when they go abroad. And they hear people shouting at them on the street, uh, hey, hamburger, hamburger. <laughs> and they go, why do they keep saying hamburger to me? <laughs> well, you know. That's all they know. That's what America. they know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Americans don't know anything else. You know, now you, you talk to somebody about Brussels sprouts, they're like, ew, Brussels sprouts. It's like, yeah, elsewhere, it's probably like, oh, God, yeah, give mm-hmm. me some Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm telling you, Morgan, yes, you have brought so much additional light and everything to this subject and everything. Thank you very, very mm-hmm. much. I want to I want to lighten it a little bit. Yeah. Not that this was really, really heavy, but, uh, you know, it, I, it was something that needed to be talked about. And I'm glad that you were here to, sh- to share your viewpoint and your insight on it. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you, do you eat out alone ever, ever? Mm hmm. Okay. I do. What are your, do you feel that maybe pros and cons behind it or? Eating alone? Uh Uh-huh. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Um, When I was single and I was was single for a very long time in my life, I never felt any hesitation to go out to a restaurant alone. It was my time to be with myself. And as, as somebody who loves to eat, like eating was the point of going out exactly i don't need to be with somebody in order to enjoy my food exactly and i also really love trying new restaurants so if there was some place i saw in the city pages and wanted to go try i would just walk in there and ask for a table for one nice and have a nice time alone and often i got really good service right when i was eating alone so <laughs> yeah well that's the, uh, you know i i wanted to talk about uh you know the benefits of dining alone now these are you know, some of my own thoughts, a lot of them are my own, my own experiences and everything like that. And I'm quite sure that you probably feel the same way. The first, I think, is that you're able to eat at your own pace. Because, you know, a lot of times when you're out with friends, you everybody else is, I admit, I'm a slow eater, you know, but I'm tasting i cut my meat a certain type of way and i want to savor the bite i want to probably put two or three ingredients together and and see how they meld uh the marriage of the food Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah when you're eating alone you really put your attention on the food yes because you don't need to split your attention to be a good guest to anybody exactly and you can taste everything what I've learned, too, is that when you're eating at your own pace or because you're eating alone and you're eating at your own pace, you might eat smaller portions and you're able to 
really taste the different types of ingredients and you know at some levels the a specific herb and you're like oh crap this was a lot of cumin and i love that or, <laughs> or something not that it's a bad thing but it's just you know when you're a person that likes to eat and goes out and have a meal what's in my head i'm smelling cumin i'm smelling coriander i'm smelling this and then i taste it and i'm like oh mm-hmm. i'm smelling some or tasting some anise uh star anise in that or whatever mm-hmm. and if i'm with other people i think i miss that and then I'm eating too fast. I'm trying to keep up with them. They're, you know, having a conversation. And I feel like, okay, well, I want to join the conversation. I can't talk with food in my mouth, of course. <laughs> but that's just the first one. Uh, the second one, I need sometimes alone time. You know, decompress. You know, get your thoughts in together. Um if you're working on a project, you know, an opportunity to go out and just say, okay, rather than being inside the house, maybe with my sitting at my computer trying to figure out something, let me just go and refresh my mind. And it may just take going out to a meal and saying, let me just relax, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. I find it, it's interesting. I find going out and dining alone mm-hmm. a very luxurious very rich experience <laughs> yes i find cooking at home mm. and eating my meal alone a very lonely experience really okay i was always really sad i because i love cooking mm. when i would cook something really incredible and make my plate and, and sit at my table be like this beautiful pork chop and risotto is only being enjoyed by me right I now know, right? <laughs> so know. for me like cooking Cooking is a family. It's a communal thing. Yes. I want to give my food to someone. <laughs> exactly. Dining out is about me. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I totally hear you. The next thing that I, I kind of, I felt that was, um, you know, you realize you know, when you're doing dining alone is that at least my senses seem to be heightened. Um, I know that. I've seen, I've noticed other folks, they'll probably sit by themselves and they'll notice that, you know, they'll have their phone and they'll be scrolling through things. Admittedly, yes, I will, if I'll check a few messages or whatever, but if I'm waiting for my, my food, I will literally put my phone down again, sitting by myself. And I'm just kind of like sitting there looking at the atmosphere, seeing, you know, people rushing by, you know, with plates of food or trays of food or whatever and i'm like oh my goodness that looks good oh my goodness that smells good i smell that aroma of this or that and i'm like i wonder what mine is going to smell like your sensory perception of things is so much more heightened Mm -hmm. and and that adds to the experience too it does and a lot of people don't realize that restaurants you know, not not every restaurant, maybe not Wendy's, <laughs> <laughs> but many restaurants that you go to, they have designed everything to be part of your eating experience. Yes. So the chair that you're sitting on and the lighting, it's meant to be a part of your experience. And exactly. when you're fully open to that, you can you can experience so many great things. Yes. Specifically, there's a book uh, on gastrophysics uh, that speaks just to that. I mean, down to the weight of a utensil and everything. I mean, I'd never thought about that, but wow. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, but that's where, again, where your the sensory perception comes into play too, because you're the smells, the aroma, the music, you know, hearing, uh, you know, the type of music that you're hearing, mm-hmm. um, over maybe the speaker system or loud system, whatever. 
sounds almost like a meditation to me. You know, when people talk about uh, mindfulness practice. Yes. And when you're when you're doing um, mindfulness of eating, you're really aware of every moment of every time the food touches your tongue, of every swallow. That's interesting. And and that is that's you know almost a Buddhist practice. Oh wow! Okay. When when they're eating their meals. But is, isn't that also a way of kind of like showing gratitude to well one so for so many things gratitude for the food gratitude for the person that appreciation for the food people that prepared it i don't know i maybe i'm going way out off no, base and everything. I, <laughs> but i agree with all of that and especially if you're taking yourself to you know a, a mid-range to a high-range restaurant right then that is part of what you're paying for right and it is it's it's a sense of gratitude to all of the work that went into that yeah if you were to just wolf your food down without thought to it, you're you're missing out right. on exactly what you've gone in for. Exactly. So. The last thing that I I thought, and this this has happened to me, where it's you make new friends, or you know, someone it might be a couple, or maybe a, one other individual that might be a, a by themselves, and they're like, "Hey, what are you having?" or that looks good. You know, can you recommend something? Or mm-hmm. have you been here before? There's that commonality already. You're already there both appreciating this restaurant maybe you've enjoyed that specific cuisine so you could probably make a new friend and be like hey i don't know are you up to maybe meeting next week or something or would you be out for coffee it's just it's you open yourself up to meeting new people you no one has to put on airs about mm-hmm. you know trying to impress someone else it's just someone that hey sitting across at another table and you're noticing that they're either by themselves or whatnot, and they're mm-hmm. enjoying their food, and it looks good to you. Why not comment on it? You never I know agree. where, you never know where the conversation might lead. Yeah, and sitting at sitting at the bar eating exactly. a meal, you might have somebody next to you, and you just strike up a conversation. Exactly. I will say that my experience as a woman might be slightly different. Yes, understood. Sometimes when I go out and I want to be alone, and I sit at the bar. But, mm-hmm. I don't get to be alone, mm-hmm. and no. in those moments, I do have to take out my phone. Uh, I do have to sort of um, isolate myself so that people will understand. I'm in my space. I need my time. I'm not here to do what you want to be doing. And women in certain places at certain times of day may be more likely to be approached when they don't want to be approached. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (sighs) But sometimes I am very open to having those conversations with strangers and meeting new people. That's cool. Depends on the day. So just keep in mind that, you know, those again are just a few examples. You know, this is not to say that you want to purposely eat alone all the time but you know it's you know it can work in your favor um you know just remember to be in the moment savor the experience and then it could lead to you know connections and memories that you have for for a long time or you never know for a lifetime gosh you know our conversation has been so great it is at the top of the hour i know right that's amazing (laughs) but it's been so We've been so engaged in everything. So thank you so much. Is there any last words that you want to probably share out to anyone or tell? Thank you so much for having (laughs) me on. I've had a great time. Um, I would love to know if there are any listeners out there who have an in on where I can get Hawaiian food in the Twin Cities. Please tell us. If you do, please let me know. And I will definitely post it on, you know, social media, Twitter, Facebook. Instagram. Mm-hmm. If you want to find out more, um, it you well, well, 
you could definitely leave it with me. You could send me an email at theunbougiefoodie at gmail.com and I will pass it on to Morgan. Morgan Chang, thank you so much for being here. Thank uh, you. I want to thank uh, listeners too for uh, taking the time out for being on the air with, or just you know listening with us uh, this morning. I'm here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, right here on WEQY 104.7 FM, the voice of the East Side. As always, as I end every show, uh, I want to thank you again and also encourage you never to let anyone tell you what type of foodie to be, because really, it is all about the food. <laughs>